So you need to have some rapport with your, your colleagues where you feel comfortable, not challenging them in a way where you're like trying to get at them, but that you're, you're really trying to work on a shared goal and it's okay for you to have a little bit of conflict, a little bit of disagreement so that you can get to good things. And I think that that does build and happen when you can joke with each other. Stack Overflow is supported by Circle CI. Now that every company is a software company, getting code to market quickly and securely matters. Learn why developers rely on Circle CI to manage their continuous integration and delivery pipelines at circleci.com/overflow. Hi everybody, welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. I'm Ryan Donovan, content marketer here at Stack Overflow, covering for Ben Popper while he's on vacation. This is a place to talk about all things software and technology, programming, all that good uh, nerdy stuff that y'all are into. Today, (laughs) I am joined by my co-host, Cassidy Williams. Hi, Cassidy. What's up? Hello, everybody. So, uh, Cassidy, what's exciting to you about the software right now? Exciting about software right now? You know, I think it's a very cool time to be in the dev tools space. There's a lot of cool developer tools coming out right now. And because everybody has been indoors, we get more time to play with it, I guess, because we're not going outside. (laughs) Do you have a favorite? Honestly, I've been playing a lot just with a bunch of different things. Lately, I've been really interested in Astro, which is a static site generator framework. It lets you use all of the libraries together. And so I was able to do some cool state management stuff with React and Vue at the same time, which you don't normally get to see. That sounds cool. Well, our guests today are the prodigal daughter, Sarah Chips, who's now an engineering manager at LinkedIn, and Sarah Drasner, former VP at Netlify. Ladies, how are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? I'm good. This isn't even the first time I've been referred to as the prodigal daughter, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems fitting. It seems fitting. Yeah. Well, and speaking of Vue, Sarah, you are on the Vue core team. Have you played with Astro at all yet? Because it's pretty neat. No, I haven't played with Astro. I know you've mentioned it a couple of times. It's on my list. But yeah, mainly I use Next, but I'm also really excited about Next moving over to Vue, which is something that was also built by Evan Yu, who creator of Vue, but it works with React and Svelte and other things too. Vue is so fast. Yeah. (laughs) So that's really exciting. So we should mention that uh, not only is Sarah Chips a former coworker of mine, Sarah Drasner is Cassidy Williams' former boss. That's right. Yeah. So I can't, you know, espouse things about management and have her not call me out. Yeah, we're just like, actually, that's not what you said in our one-on-one. <laughs> right. Time to settle all the old scores. <laughs> that's great. Can you give us a goss? What's it like to be Cassidy's manager? Well, um, she's very serious, never cracking jokes. Mm, that's mm-hmm. super true. <laughs> I, c- I could see that. No, Cassidy is wonderful. She's a hard worker. And let's see, am I like your marketing department right now? Cassidy yeah. is her own <laughs> marketing department. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Sarah's, you're both uh, engineering management and also former come from an engineering background. Sarah Drasner, you've, you've written a book on this. What's it like moving from doing the work to overseeing the work? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Actually, that's that's kind of what the book is about, because I felt like I got to be a really good engineer, and then all of a sudden I was moved into management. But there wasn't really a guidebook to transitioning 
those roles. And I think there was a, a bit of an expectation that I would already know how to do all of the kind of managerial work that engineering management in, entails. And I, I didn't. I had to learn a lot on the job. Um, so that was the reason why I wrote the book, right, is for people who are engineers who are either curious about what it's like to be an engineering manager or people who have transitioned into engineering management and didn't really see that there was a formal path or a way of learning or a way of, you know, kind of structuring your team, how to prioritize things, how to work with other groups, how to have one-on-ones, how to um, give feedback. So I kind of tried to encapsulate all of those things to help other engineers grow. Yeah, because they're they're kind of two separate skills entirely, right? Like engineering is a very technical skill and management is very people-focused. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, you're really good at building these bridges. You should be a baker. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, I think that there's a, there's, you know, a few good resources out there, but I thought maybe adding, you know, another voice. It's a very common story, not just in tech, but like even in academia, you see all of these professors who actually want to do research and focus on this thing, but instead they have to teach students and as a result, may not always be the best professor. And and you see that with, with managers a lot. And some people are natural managers and it's great, but it definitely does take training and education to take on these new skill sets. And there's the old joke, uh, everybody rises to their own level of incompetence, right? The Peter Principle. <laughs> I love, when I found out about the Peter Principle, I didn't sleep for six months. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you find those people who there is no level of incompetence. They just keep excelling yeah. or they have good books in front of them. Mm. So, Sarah, which what one? do you think? <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry, Ms. <laughs> Chips, how do you deal with management? You also come from engineering background and have risen to your level of competence, I assume. Yeah, I think I really agree with Sarah that there's not a lot of resources out there. It's pretty, you know, like 10 years ago when I started, there was like three books people told you to read. It was like Peopleware, uh, Joel's book, Smart and Gets Things Done. And then like one other that people are like, then you'll know everything. And so it's great that people like Sarah are coming out with books now because that's really helpful, especially in the modern world of management, which I think has changed. When I became a manager, and I think this is a typical IC story, It's funny when you talk to a lot of ICs and you say, you know, what's your next play? Like, what are are you working to grow towards? And they're like, well, it's not to be a manager. And you're like, okay, well, you know, it's not that bad. (laughs) Can everyone calm down? Um, But at the time, I really felt like becoming a manager was quitting because it meant like I wouldn't code anymore. And that was something that was very important to me. But what, what I learned is that being a manager is not that different from being an engineer. It's just instead of you know, computer processes is you're dealing with people processes. You're still fixing machines and you're still, you know, making things better. And really, you know, the things that you can do as one engineer gets multiplied exponentially when, you know, your job is just empowering engineers and helping them love their jobs and helping them get to the next level. I think that's a really fun part of it. Yeah. I've read a good amount of uh, stuff on, you know, engineering performance and metrics and almost all of them talk about it's no longer individual, it's it's a team. Like the whole idea of the 10x engineer is, is sort of nonsense. You have to support your team and your team has to excel. Yeah, I mean, that's, I have this, you know, I open source career ladders for the team that the teams that I manage. And I think that like the kind of TLDR of that was 
what you're saying, right? That when you're becoming senior, you're becoming like the best you you could be. But beyond that, when you get to staff and principal levels, you're really empowering the people around you. You're helping them be the best them and making sure that everybody's scaling appropriately. And I, I like what Sarah said about really like that your scale as an engineering manager is touching many people's lives, getting whole systems of people to work. That part feels very rewarding. The thing that's a little strange about engineering management that I'm getting used to coming from being an engineer is that the kind of feedback cycles when you ha- when you're an engineer is you know you see your code working or not working fairly soon. With management, you can put something into play that you don't see working for months, maybe even a year. So that those types of of cycles are a little bit different. I would say like the fact that you're no longer flow driven and you're now interrupt driven, like you are supposed to be interrupted constantly so that your team can stay focused and, you know, provide that kind of clarity from having those conversations is also quite different. And the last thing that is really, really different is just that people are not pure functions. I wish they were, but you can, I mean, you can put one input in one day and get completely different output another day because people have things going on in their lives, there's other team dynamics, there's other things going on at the company that is affecting their work. And so you're still doing those kind of like figuring out what the state of the thing is, figuring out like what is, you know, impacting and what's going on with each individual and what's going on as a group. But it there are times where it's really challenging because you don't necessarily have that like strong input output that you can kind of rely on day to day, um, which makes it actually really fun and challenging as well. Yeah, people are not uh, deterministic functions. Right, exactly. (laughs) Cassidy, uh, have you been a manager at all? Yeah, I am one now, actually. You're a manager. Yeah, and so uh, and I've done it. A, I've done it a few times, both like going from management to I want to be an IC again, and then going back and being like, yeah, I kind of like management too. It's like a management sandwich. And I think when I was first going into my career, I was just like, I want to be a manager right away because this is good for my career and it means power, yada yada yada. And I very quickly learned that that is not what being a manager is about. If anything, it is it is kind of the opposite in a way. It's it's really just about providing resources to your team to be successful um, and not just about bossing people around, which I think some managers need to learn that lesson still. But yeah, I, I've started management actually in my first job straight out of college, but just with interns. Wow. And so I was I was managing interns early. And then in my next few roles, I managed small teams of like one or two and then larger teams of six and more. Now we've got a little team of three that uh, I've got, and, and we mostly just share memes with each other, but we get some stuff done. <laughs> Those are valuable resources. Yeah. I think a lot of times engineers will go into management because there isn't really the individual contributor track. Mm-hmm. Is there a way we can fix that? I think the leveling stuff that Sarah Drasner put out is super, super useful for that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I did try to open source not just the levels themselves for the IC track, but also the process that I go through when I try to figure out with the person where they want to be. What are you communicating when you talk about the level with the person? Because I actually had a friend who went into management recently and was like, am I supposed to talk about promotions with them if they're not 
if they haven't brought it up, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're supposed to talk about what level they're at. And, and I, so I think sometimes people don't realize that people do kind of want a sense of where they're at, what it will take to get to the next level, provide clarity for what you're expecting, you know, what's great that they should continue doing, where they can grow, and then, you know, follow through on, on that those things, right? Like what once they do all of those things, it establishes trust between a manager and employee. If you show this is what we're looking for, and then they go through and do it, and then they do get the promotion and the raise. You don't just like leave them in limbo forever. Right. You set expectations and you meet them. Sarah Chips, what's the, the hardest thing you found about being a manager? I think the hardest thing about is giving people opportunities to learn and watching, not watching them fail, watching, giving people opportunities to fail and watching them fail, I think is really hard. I think it's very important Like we all need those in our jobs. We all need those like opportunities to stretch ourselves as individuals, try things we haven't tried before, do them badly, do them again and do them better. You know, like that's the really important part after that is make sure that the person gets that feedback that they need to next time do a better job. But I think the instinct is always to jump in and tell them, oh, you know, here's what you need to do. And you can always give them that advice. But, you know, like one thing you mentioned was like being an engineering manager, you know, being the boss of people, you're really not like, if that's your goal to be the boss of people, being an engineering manager, you're just going to fail. I think, especially like engineers, they're very, they love autonomy and they love their ability to make decisions. And if you're going in because you want to tell them what to do, I think you'll end up with a pretty unhappy team. So, so a lot of that means giving them your best advice and letting them decide what to do with it. And so sometimes when you see someone do that and it's not successful, that could be hard to watch, but the best part afterwards is coaching them and helping them, you know, nail it a second time. I I always say failure is a first step to uh, succeeding. Yeah, that's nice. I'm a pretty new parent. So that's a thing I'm going through a lot where it's like, you got to let them fail. You got to let them fall on his face once in a while. Can you all talk about instances where where you had to let somebody fail and then kind of pick up the pieces? Well, I let Cassidy fail at puns all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's really upsetting, actually. (laughs) Sarah's seen me at my worst. I mean, there there are definitely even times where it's not about, I mean, I completely agree with all of the things that Sarah just said, where it's not even an individual failing, but it can also be a team working on something and failing because you're trying to, if you're pushing the boundaries of something, if you're creating something truly innovative and unique, then there isn't as much of a clear path, right? Like I've definitely been at companies where we're just building a thing that is a feature that's very obvious and we know exactly what we're doing and we just do the thing. And then there are times where you're building something that has never existed before in the industry and you're trying to see if it's going to work and trying to see if it's going to be successful. And that means that at times you're going to find that there are, you know, dead ends. There are things that people that didn't resonate with people. There are things that didn't work that you have to redo. You know, there's also the communication aspect of trying to understand that, like, it's not just your team, right? You're communicating with peers. You're communicating with stakeholders above your head about what the nature of that work is, how much of 
how much success and failure is, you know, to be expected when you're doing something innovative. And that can be wonderful and challenging and interesting and gathering all of that kind of input and synthesizing it in a way where the goals are something that is like be right, like beyond maybe your like current capacity, but trying to stretch yourself as a team together is an interesting challenge and can definitely have some failures, but also hopefully is rewarding when it does succeed. Yeah, that um, relates to a, a post we just put out on the blog about safely creating stretch work assignments. Mm. That's that's the way to get somebody to grow, give them something that's a little bit outside of their current ability and see if they get to it. So Cassidy, I think it's time to spill a little tea. How is Sarah Drasner as a boss? Oh, unfortunately, there's not much tea to spill. She's really good. I say it without irony that she's one of the best bosses I've ever had. She's a really good manager and knows what she's talking about. And that's why that book is probably going to be one that everyone should buy. <laughs> My heart dreams. <laughs> <laughs> so at what level of manager did you write the book for? Like, is it like general, like if you're a manager, this is valuable. Is it I'm a new manager? Is it I've been doing this forever? I think like the the intent is for people who are either starting management or have begun a management journey within the last three or four years, anywhere from beginning to three or four years. But I do think that there are things that I've seen even experienced managers, like like some learnings in there that like I have recently learned, even though I've been managing for a while and thought that I should share because it's like, oh, don't do this. Um, or like, oh, this really worked out. You should try to do X, Y, and Z. There's particularly pieces in there that I'm still working on and learning. So I'm, I'm trying to capture things that I'm I'm iterating on as well. Like one of the, the last section of the book. So the first section of the book is your team. The second is about collaboration with other teams and other stakeholders. And the third is, is about you. And the last chapter is one that I'm really like not super. And I try to be honest about like scheduling your time. What do you do when you're a VP and everyone wants to meet with you and you want to meet with everybody, but you just don't have enough time. And that that's where you get into some of these higher prioritization levels of like, what is your value at the company? What are you providing for other people? Understand that you can't do everything in the world anymore. So hopefully there's something a little bit for everybody, but it's definitely like the key audience is, is people who are kind of transitioning or have transitioned in the last three or four years. Does it cover like when your reports troll you and just really mess with you? Actually, it does. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Cassidy, did you troll her? Yes. <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. It was an active goal. It was great. <laughs> I think they all did, though. It wasn't yeah, no, that's that's kind of just like our, our entire team's dynamic. Even even in Sarah's absence, it's it's a very active just how can we mess with each other as much as we can. Yeah, I think the day that I left, a few of them sent their background Zoom photos to a picture of me as a child picking my nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That sounded sweet up until it sounded really sweet up until the picking your nose part. Oh, okay, no. Uh, a little salty, a little salty. Um, do you think that uh, kind of casual relationship with your direct reports helps a team perform? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I do talk about that a little bit in the book, too, because I think 
you know, not every team's going to have the same sense of humor. And I don't think that it's good for people to try to even do that. But I do think that having team dynamics where, you know, Sarah was just talking about failing in front of each other and that doesn't happen unless you have some trust. It You really mm-hmm. need to create trust, vulnerability and, you know, shared humor, traditions, things like that are ways to build that. Trust. It's not the only way, but it is a really important way to make sure that people feel comfortable saying something doesn't work. Like if you, let's say, you know, given two situations, you you're presenting to a group, an idea or a concept for what you're going to be building in the future. If you say we're going to be doing this and people disagree and they're quiet, that's not good. (laughs) You want a team who feels comfortable saying, you know, I don't know if we should be doing this because did you know about X, Y, and Z? Because sometimes you don't know about X, Y, and Z. So you need to have some rapport with your your colleagues where you feel comfortable, not challenging them in a way where you're like trying to get at them, but that you're you're really trying to work on a shared goal and it's okay for you to have a little bit of conflict, a little bit of disagreement so that you can get to good things. And I think that that does build and happen when you can joke with each other. And it, it, it's also important to acknowledge like the power dynamic too. Like, like it, it's fun to have a casual relationship, but at the end of the day, you are still their manager too. And so you, there, there's a fine balance there where, where you will have these serious moments where not everything can be a joke, but it is good to have that vulnerability and, and good relationship enough where you can talk about everything. And, and being able to, you know, call out somebody when they're wrong or when you disagree is important. Or when their joke is bad. Yeah. (laughs) At my last job, I ended up at some point reporting to the CTO. And she managed, you know, 600 engineers. And I remember sort of trying to squeak out a disagreement. And she's like, no, this is good. Disagree with me. And then she stepped on it. She crushed me. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite part of being a manager is when there's someone on my team and I'm not managing them anymore and I get to be their friend. It sounds like Mm. Sarah and Cassidy, you guys have found that, and that's the best. Yeah, I try to make her play Fortnite with me, but she's much better at it than me. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten some wins, though, so hey. Mostly because of Cassidy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a, a great conversation. As always, I'm Ryan Donvan content marketer. I run the blog here. I am secretly on Twitter at Arthur Donovan, and you can email blog pitches at pitches at stackoverflow.com. Cassidy? I'm Cassidy, Director of Developer Experience at Netlify. You can find me at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O, on most things on the internet. I'm Sarah Drasner. I'm Sarah underscore Edo on uh, on Twitter. I'm on the Viewcore team and I'm former VP at Netlify um, and Microsoft and a couple of other places. And yeah, I, you can catch some of my writings on my site, sarah.dev. Sarah with an H dot dev. Sarah with an H, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I may be the only one in my mind that I was wondering. So. Sarah Chips. I'm Sarah Chips. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah J. Chips. I'm an engineering manager at LinkedIn. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.